You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 519 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland. It is Tuesday evening. I know I told everyone on yesterday's podcast that I would stay away until after the Hawks-Kings game on Wednesday, but I just couldn't stay away from you all. And here we are to talk about the Atlanta Hawks, as we always do in this space. So thanks for joining us on the pod, as always. And let's get started here. A lot of different topics on this podcast. There can be some, there's, there's some news. There's some, um, I guess, some ranking stuff. There's some mailbag stuff. There's some draft stuff. Everything that you want on, on a podcast, I guess, condensed into one. Aside from, other, from, aside from a guest, I, I wanted to have a guest on the podcast today. Didn't really come through, which just, you know, it happens every once in a while, and I, I always keep a couple of backup plans. And honestly, there was some news to hit on that I wanted to get to. So uh, here we are talk about a number, number of different things on today's podcast. So first things first, Kent Bazemore was upgraded to, uh, sorry, to questionable for Wednesday's game against the Kings. He's been out since December 29th, and uh, I did have an inkling on yesterday's podcast that, that, that this might happen. Lloyd Pierce told Jeff Siegel, who was in the building, you know, good friend of the program, on Monday in Los Angeles, that Bazemore was set to practice on Tuesday. Uh, it's obviously great news to see Bazemore upgraded at all. First time since the injury, so about a calendar month now, that Bazemore's been out of the lineup, that he would be upgraded to anything other than out. Um, so questionable doesn't mean he's going to play necessarily against the Kings on Wednesday, but the Hawks are then off on Thursday before taking on Utah on Friday, and that gives him a, sort of a longer runway if the, if the Hawks wanted to shoot for that game. So, you know, regardless, Bazemore is the best wing on this roster right now, in my opinion. Obviously not the, not the highest upside guy um, with Torian Prince and Kevin Herter, especially having higher upside, I think. than Bazemore, who is very, very established. But if you're trying to win a game today, Bazemore is the best wing on the team. And the fact that the Hawks have been able to do this without him recently is probably a very, very good sign for the future, given that it's kind of come with all the youth playing on the wing. But regardless, Bazemore coming back is a very, very good thing. And of course, there's the trade deadline stuff sort of looming out there with Bazemore being quite available, I would say, between now and February 7th. So, you know, if he can play on Wednesday or play on Friday, it gives, about a, gives, gives him about a week to sort of prove that he's healthy. I do think, and I've been on record with this, that Bazemore is kind of someone who everyone in the league kind of knows right now. I don't, there's, not, there's not too much showcasing going on. I think it would be better, obviously, if he could prove that he's healthy. But I think Bazemore with an ankle injury, it's not like a, a long-term knee or something serious injury like that. I think it's probably worth um, not too not caring too, too much about his injury status. But I think you know him playing definitely helps in that pursuit. And regardless, you just want to see a guy get healthy and be able to play. So Bazemore will be back, it looks like, in the near future. If, if not Wednesday, could be Friday, and we'll see what transpires in the near future with that. Um, elsewhere on the news front, uh, the Rising Stars Challenge roster uh, got announced on Tuesday evening. No huge surprises there. Both Trey Young and John Collins will be representing the USA team. It used to be, uh, for those of you who might be unfamiliar with this, it used to, it used to be uh, rookies versus sophomores. Now it's uh, rookies and sophomores all in the same game together, and it's Team USA versus Team World. Um, obviously, Atlanta had really three candidates in Young, Collins, and Kevin Herter. They were all on the USA side of things. Um, Young and Collins got the, got the call there at her did not that's not a huge surprise to me I kind of what I what I expected to happen to be honest with you um, the 10-man roster for the USA team what is as follows is Jared Allen of the Nets Marvin Bagley of the Kings Lonzo Ball of the Lakers John Collins of course De'Aaron Fox of the Kings as well Jaron Jackson of the Grizzlies Kyle Kuzma of the Lakers Donovan Mitchell of the Jazz Jason Tatum of the Celtics and Trey Young 
bringing it up in the alphabetical order um, standings there. So, yeah, it's uh, no no huge surprises there. I think Collins and Young are pretty much no-brainers. Collins has been fantastic this year. He's averaging like 20 and 10 with uh, crazy efficiency. He's the uh, he's on the very short list of very, very, very easy inclusions here alongside guys like Mitchell and Fox. Um, he's been fantastic. And uh, Young, I think, is pretty clearly in, in as well with the fact that, uh, A, he's a rookie, and you want to have at least some balance between rookies and sophomores. I think he's been the, the best rookie guard so far this year. I think Luca obviously, has been better than Trey in the big picture sense, but he's not really a full-time guard necessarily. So I would say that Young has been better than guys like like Gilgis Alexander and obviously better than Sexton, all those guys. So uh, good to see Trey get some recognition. He's been really good lately especially. So those guys getting there, not a huge surprise. And by the way, Young and Collins should be a lot of fun in that game, uh, throwing, out, throwing alley-oops, shooting long-range threes for Trey, uh, ball handling, all that fun stuff. So they're pretty much uh, set up nicely to put on a show up in Charlotte in mid-February with that game on that Friday night. Um, Kevin Herter, as I mentioned before, got left off here. Uh, it's not really a snub for me. I think he probably you know, wouldn't have been out of place if he was there, in my opinion, but I think the only guy that he has a sort of a claim over would be Lonzo Ball, and even then, there were other candidates that didn't make it either that probably had better cases than Herter does right now. The numbers just aren't there for Herter, honestly, in terms of just his production. He's playing a lot of minutes. I think he's fourth in this rookie class in minutes so far, which is uh, kind of speaks to his value to the Hawks ro- roster, but all things considered, he probably shouldn't be playing all this much for an NBA team, at least in this moment. He's still a rookie. He has rookie, rookie-like qualities in a lot of ways, but he's shooting the ball well. He's been pretty good, honestly, and uh, no complaints. I think if you were trying to do like a redraft of the 2018 draft, Herter would go a lot higher, obviously, than 19. I think he, he would be a lottery pick without question and maybe even uh, maybe sort of sneaking into the top 10. Probably only eight or nine guys that I definitely would have ahead of Herter in a redraft, so the Hawks have hit on that pick already, I think, in my opinion. So we'll see how that um, sort of functions in the future. Um, last thing on the all-star stuff, I think Trey Young is now con- confirmed to be in the skills competition. I'm not a huge skills competition guy. It's kind of, <laughs> honestly, I'm not a huge all-star weekend guy, if I'm being completely honest with you. But Young should be good in that format. He's a very skilled player. His passing is always on point. His ball handling is good. So he should fare well in that competition. There's been some buzz that John Collins could be in the, in the dunk contest. And in fact, Oliver Maroney uh, reported that uh, last week. I've not heard that concrete anywhere. Um, but I think Collins... There's been a lot of uh, buzz that he's embracing that thought. I think if he's healthy, he'll probably be there, to be honest with you. Not beneficial just yet. But obviously, I think big men are not always great in the dunk contest, but I think Collins has enough uh, juice to go ahead and put on a show. I'm not sure I'd pick him to win, necessarily, because of the fact that big men are not always that successful in this format. But I think Collins has the has the ability to win it. And if nothing else, he's sort of a showman, so that'll be a lot of fun to see if he's able to get in the dunk contest. If that happens officially, I will pass along that word to you in some form or fashion. So before we get to the rest of the podcast and some mailbag questions, I do want to take a moment to tell you about the, about the Locked On Podcast Network. Uh, it's been a, a, sort of a long journey to build up the network, I'm sure. In a lot of ways, I've been there since pretty much the beginning of the podcast network and uh, grinding along with more than 500 shows, obviously. But we have a podcast for every single M- NBA team. Every single NFL team, a bunch of colleges, some MLB teams, lots of different podcasts that you could probably consume if you wanted to do that. Um, if you are just a Hawks fan, that's cool too, but please tell your friends. If you, have, if you have friends that like other sports or other teams, please share that information as well as tell their friend, tell your friends that are Hawks fans about this podcast. Help us to spread the word a little bit and subscribe on whichever platform that you would like to do so. So with that said, we'll come back in a brief moment and uh, there'll be a nice little break here. Then we'll come back to talk about the mailbag questions that I got this week. All right, we're back with some mailbag questions here. The first one comes from Harris, and uh, it is, I know you mentioned that the Hawks probably aren't going to be in the Anthony Davis sweepstakes, but how does that whole thing affect Atlanta? 
Um, I mentioned this on yesterday's podcast that the Hawks are not likely to be players for Davis directly. That would be kind of a shock to everyone involved. I do think, though, it might affect Atlanta in some ways because I've long thought that New Orleans would be a good partner for the Hawks in some, you know, in some constructions when it, when it came to Kent Bazemore or Jeremy Lin. That's been a popular uh, sort of theoretical to go ahead and, and like swap Solomon Hill and his contract for the Pelicans for them to be like a buyer to try to improve themselves at the deadline. I will say, though, with New Orleans playing as bad, as poorly as they are recently and sort of falling out of the race for the most part, now, of course, with Davis as well, there's no reason for the Pelicans to go out and buy now at the deadline. That kind of takes those uh, situations away to where Atlanta is no longer an obvious candidate to pair with New Orleans because if they're not buying, the Hawks are probably trying to sell and uh, doesn't really match up in a lot of ways there. I think there's a couple of ways that the Hawks could get sort of tangentially involved with multi-team deals that could involve New Orleans and Davis, but in terms of just straight-ahead moves with two-team deals, they don't really match up anymore. That's kind of the easiest way to put that. I think that Davis could constrict a little bit on the overall market because of the fact that um, he's sort of just looming out there and people are sort of holding on with regard to uh, Davis and theoretical scenario. But I'm not, I'm not sure there's too much to that, honestly. And the Hawks are still looking for long-term assets, which is either cost-controlled young players on good contracts or picks in the future, whether it be 2019, 20, um, 21, all that fun stuff. Schlenk has now said, um, Travis has now said multiple places, including on this podcast, that 2020 and beyond is probably almost more, more of a higher priority in the draft than it comes to 2019 because the Hawks already have the two picks in the first round for this year, probably at least, if Dallas is, does not get in the top five when, when it comes to the lottery. And they, and they already have three second-round picks. So not a huge um, desire to add a 2019 first-rounder necessarily, but regardless, picks are a currency in the way the Hawks are trying to use them to rebuild. And I think that's always going to be the focus. That's sort of a big-picture uh, item to tack on here. But as far as the Hawks and the Pelicans, I think there's not really a mix anymore with those two teams. Uh, it's, it's sort of in a logical sense. Next question comes from Charles, and he he, uh, he says, if the NBA season restarted today, would you what would you project the Hawks' record to be now that John Collins is fully healthy and we have more information about the team as a whole? Uh, for a bit of reference here, I actually projected 25 and 57 before the season started. That was considered to be pretty high, honestly, when compared to national outlets especially. Most people, I would say, in the national media and the NBA media had the Hawks as the worst team in the league. I did not think they were going to be the worst team in the league. I will say I did not envision them having a 10-10 and 10 stretch at any point in time, so I guess I was wrong about that. I do think, though, that I was a little bit higher on the Hawks than most were in terms of uh, non-fans, just like people trying to cover the league and be more objective. I was a little bit higher than those people were on the Hawks. I think I'd be even higher than that now, given what we've seen from John Collins especially and Trey Young and even Kevin Herter. Not everyone's been better than I thought. You know, Torian Prince probably hasn't been better than I thought, for instance. But for the most part, most players on this roster have been a little bit better than I would have envisioned them being. And that's a very nice thing to say out loud. Um, I don't buy the 500 team that, that, that they've been in over the last 20 games as something that I'd like to see moving forward, um, or at least that I trust moving forward, I should say. Their net rating hasn't been as good as that, as that would probably indicate. I think I'd probably still project something in like the low to mid-30s if you told me that the team is going to keep – Deadman and Lynn and Baysmore, and they would be there all season long. This is probably a 30 to 35 win team somewhere in there, which is again a lot better than people thought they were going to be. And uh, doing it with the young guys is a good thing. I think if you threw in the possibility that guys could be dealt, as they probably will be, or at least they could be between now and the deadline, it sort of re- uh, went along with that, plus injuries, you're probably getting into like the 28 to 33 range, somewhere in there, which is still pretty good over a full season. They could, they, could certainly be, they could certainly be better than that with good health, and especially if Young continues to uh, sort of progress, and same, same with Herter and Collins, they could be better than that. I do think 
you know, they're now firmly out of that bottom tier. That's probably the best way to put that. I think the fact that 30 could be seen as low is kind of crazy with the way the Hawks been able to uh, function since John Collins came back, especially. They're, they've just been a lot better than anyone could have thought with Collins in the lineup. You know, they got, they got, they got to that start. They were 6-23. and 23. A lot of that was without John Collins. Not all of it, I will say. It's uh, There's been some revisionism with, like, the Hawks are really good with, with, with John Collins. They're, they haven't been really good. They've been a lot better which is worth pointing out in the 500 stretch is what it is. But I think big picture with this roster, I probably would say like 32 wins, something like that, which is, again, a pretty, pretty, a pretty stark difference from where they were before the season started. But all that to say, if they restarted things today and everybody was healthy when they started, obviously nobody's full, nobody's fully healthy all season long, but just something to keep in mind for that. As I said on Monday Night Show, I think the Hawks are now definitely out of the bottom tier. No question about that. There are four teams that are definitely better. I'm sorry, they're definitely worse than the Hawks, I should say. That's the Suns, the Knicks, the Bulls, and the Cavs. They are certainly all worse than the Hawks are. I think it wouldn't be a surprise to me if the Hawks played better than Memphis or Orlando even for the rest of the season. I think Memphis is going to be a team that's probably going to go pretty hard in the tank to the point where if I had to pick a team for the Hawks to um, overtake in the standings, I would certainly pick the Grizzlies as that team if you if you wanted to find one. I think the most likely scenario between now and the end of the year is the Hawks finishing with an either number, either number five or number six in the dead, in the pre-lottery positioning? Obviously, everything goes into the ping pong ball bucket once you get to the lottery. But before that, I think the Hawks would be number five or number six in terms of just the most ping pong balls, and they'll have a pretty good chance to get up into the top four. And we'll see what happens from there. But I think you know, back to the question. I think somewhere in the 30-32 range is probably where I'd go. And that, that that might seem low now, which is kind of crazy, but it's a lot better than we all thought it was going to be before the year began. Um, last question comes from Derek, and uh, he says, It might be too early for this, but do you have a working draft board for the Hawks when it comes to these projected lottery picks that the Hawks have between the, their own pick and the one from Dallas? Um I mentioned this a little bit with Tyler Jones on last week's podcast with him. That, that was sort of a marathon. We did a lot of draft stuff for the second half of that podcast. If you missed it, that was a fun one. Go, go back and listen to that one. But um, it's definitely early for this. I, I, I don't want to be pinned down too, too far in these positions. And to be honest with you, because it's still late January, I have a lot more tape to watch, a lot more um, stuff to be uh, combed through. But I will say, I'll throw this stuff out there now. I think Zion Williamson is in a tier by himself for me at number one overall. Obviously, I think it would be a pretty big surprise if he didn't go number one. It wouldn't be like absolutely ridiculously stunning to me if R.J. Barrett went number one somewhere else. I think anybody else, though, would kind of stun me in a lot of ways. I think Zion should be number one pretty clearly, in my opinion. I would have Barrett at number two, uh, his teammate from Duke. I talked to Tyler about this last week a little bit, but I don't, I don't, I don't love his profile in general, I don't, and I don't love the fit in Atlanta necessarily, but it certainly could work. He's very, very talented. I think he has the second highest upside in this class behind Williamson. So having him at number two is a little bit scary in some ways, but I also think it's probably the right call. Also, if you are the Hawks, if this is if this is only a Hawks-based draft board, I think you have to remove John Morant and Darius Garland for the most part. Those guys are definitely pure point guard prospects, and I think there's probably a certain point where you have to take them just for value alone, but for the most part, in the top 10, the Hawks shouldn't be taking a point guard. That would be kind of a rough fit in a lot of ways. You know, Young is a point guard and uh, obviously a small guy. Both Morant and Garland are bigger than Young, obviously, but not perfectly suited to play with, with, with him. So you kind of have to cross those guys off, maybe only in pencil, but I wouldn't be taking them in the top 10 if I am the Hawks without some other plan in place. So that's something you have to keep in mind too. Um, so from there, 
that's four guys out of the way, you know, top two. And then you have these two guys that you probably can't take um, from there. A couple of tiers that I have sort of fluid within those tiers. I think the, uh, the I guess the third tier or so is four guys. And these, these guys are at the top for me in terms of the others out of the top four. Um, I guess the, out of the top two plus the point guards. Um, Cam Reddish from Duke, Jarrett Culver from Texas Tech, Nas Little from UNC, and DeAndre Hunter from Virginia. That's sort of a four-player tier for me. And then after that, a sort of a two-player tier for me with Kelton Johnson from Kentucky and Indiana's Romeo Lankford. That gets you to 10 guys overall between the, uh, again, the top two, Zion and RJ, the two point guards who probably aren't going to be Hawks um, targets. Then you have four guys in Reddish, Culver, Little, and Hunter, and then a two-player tier of Johnson and Lankford. That's a top 10 or so. After that, you're kind of looking at Kevin Porter as an upside play who I don't like very well, very much, especially for the Hawks. He's definitely a uh, high-risk kind of prospect. You have Casey Opala, who uh, I know Tyler likes a lot from Stanford. He's an interesting player that I want to see more of. Jackson Hayes is the center prospect that's been uh, popular with Hawks fans. If you want to take a center, he'd be the one to take, but I think it's a little bit high for me in the top 10, probably. You even have Bull Bull, who I think scouts are all over the place on. He has the foot injury right now. I don't love Bull Bull, especially defensively, but he's someone who you'll probably hear from in the near future. A couple of other guys that could sneak up up there for the most part, though. I think that's, that's probably your 10, 11, 12 guys that uh, are jockeying for position in the lottery if I am the Hawks. So Zion is the big prize. Obviously, everyone wants Zion. I've said this like 100 times already. I'll probably say it another 500 times between now and the uh, and the lottery itself. But even the, even the worst three teams in the league will only have a 14% chance at Zion. You can't bank on that. That can't be your whole draft plan. Even you know the Hawks right now, if they enter the draft at number five overall, they have a 10.5% chance. So they've lost three and a half percentage points going from the worst team in the league to the fifth worst team in the league. You know that's not a huge gap when you're talking about. Um, it was always unlikely that Zion's going to go to any team, any any team in the lottery. Their odds are not good. It's, he's gonna ha- he has to go somewhere. Somebody's somebody's gonna get lucky, but that can't be your draft plan. So he's a no brainer pick for me if he's if he's available at number one. You just take him and uh, don't even worry about it from that point forward. But more realistically, I think a haul for the Hawks that has like either Reddish or Culver with the Hawks' own pick somewhere in that you know three to six range would be great. I think, and then um, from that point forward, you have to look at somebody in the uh, Hunter Little Johnson range with the Dallas pick. That'd be great. I think you can never have too many wings. You know, Sam Vecini did, did a mock draft on Tuesday from the Athletics. Sam's been on this podcast before. I think he's the best draft guy um, working right now. I'm happy to say that. You know, Sam's a friend, but I think he's fantastic at what he does. He had uh, Jarrett Culver at number five to the Hawks and Kelton Johnson number nine to the Hawks. Nothing crazy sexy about that. I think both guys um, would provide some value. That's only it's a mock draft in, in January, so nothing to get panicked over to be sure. But I do think um, the Hawks would be taking Johnson over Little in that scenario, which I definitely would not do. But not a bad haul at all. And I think you just can't have too many wings. I know the Hawks do have Kevin Herter. The Hawks do have Torian Prince. Even Bembry is sort of the next tier below that. They can still take two wings in this draft, and I would be totally okay with that. You can never have too many wings, especially if you have one of those guys that can sort of guard threes and fours. Um, especially, you know, Cam Reddish or DeAndre Hunter are both capable of guarding up in that way with great length and athleticism. That's very, very helpful. So I'm okay with that. You just kind of take the two best players, and if they're wings, they're, they're wings. That's totally fine. You're not like overloaded there necessarily because Baysmore will probably be gone at some point in the near future, and Bembry just isn't someone you're going to be worried about with draft picks. So, you know, Herter is a nice building block. Obviously, Prince is around still right now, but you can still take two two more wings and not really worry about fit too much there. And uh, 
yeah, I think the Mavs pick could still be in the in that ten to twelve range pretty easily if they got if they got hot here or if the Hawks got unlucky with that pick and it slipped down. You know, if, if Dallas were to enter the draft night like number eight, they could certainly fall to ten or eleven, and that, that wouldn't be a huge surprise either. So, just one of those things you have to keep in mind that it's kind of fluid right now. The Hawks could be picking number one and number. Six, that's obviously the perfect scenario for Atlanta is one and six. They could be picking number five and nine. That would not be a surprise as that was projected today by Sam Mesita. It could be it could be six and ten. Um, you know, the Hawks draft pick could fall. If, if Atlanta en- entered the lottery at number six, they could easily go to eight. And that's kind of a doomsday scenario for a lot of Hawks fans that are worried about the draft pick. Um, I wouldn't tell you that it's likely to that they could be picking number eight with their own pick, but it's certainly not off the table right now with, with the way they're playing and the lottery odds the way they are and just the math. It's not insane. So uh, a lot of fluidity there. I think um, the safe bet is to project two lottery picks for the Hawks right now between the Hawks' own pick and Dallas's. But Dallas could certainly they, they could win the lottery. They could they can get in the top four. Um, just for re- just for the record, the top four slots are all lottery induced. So Dallas has four chances to jump into the top four, and if they do that, they get to keep, keep their own pick. And then it, suddenly Atlanta only has their own pick, and then of course the three second rounders. So it's it's fluid to be sure between now and the draft. But that's kind of where I am on the top ten, top twelve or so. And I like a lot of. These guys, it's not, it's not a great draft to be, to, to be honest with you. There's only one guy who I think is like actually an elite prospect, and that's Zion. I do like, you know, for instance, I think my favorite my favorite guys in this class in terms of just compared to, to, to the consensus in terms of the top 10, top 15 guys are Reddish, Culver, and Hunter. I like them all. Um, I will I, I will not tell you that any of those guys are going to be stars. I think Reddish has um, some real upside. I think Culver is very polished, and, and I think he's going to be very good in the NBA. I'm not sure he's an, is a big enough athlete to be able to be an elite player. Hunter is definitely more of a role player type, do it all, defense first, good shooter. Um, I like those kind of player, players as a general rule, but there is talent in this class. It's just not the greatest class in the world. It's definitely not as good as last year's class. So just keep that in mind when you're evaluating these guys and if you're listening to me. A typical number three overall pick from last year, for instance. Obviously, Luca went number three last year. Um, that's not a guy you're, you're going to get at number three this year, um, even two years ago. This is just not as good of a draft as those guys. Obviously, Zion is up there with anybody that has been taken in the last couple of years for me as a prospect, up there with Luca, up there with other guys like that, you know, Ben Simmons. He's on that level, um, but otherwise, I think you probably have to, you know, Barrett would be, I think last year, I probably would have had Barrett somewhere in the 5, 6, 7 range, and he's number two for me this year. So that kind of just tells you a little bit, and the, after that, I think same thing for Reddish and Culver. Those guys would be three and four for me, and they probably go, I don't know, somewhere outside the top six or seven from last year. So keep that in mind, and I know I'm rambling right now, and that's one of those things that happens at the end of a podcast, but please stay tuned for the next show. It's going to be Hawks-Kings recap time late into the night on Wednesday. It's a 10 o'clock p.m. Eastern time tip-off in Sacramento, so that'll be a little that'll be a little bit of a late night, not quite as bad as Monday night, but still probably like a 1 a.m. recording time, 1.30 a.m., so bear with me on that one. It'll be up for your commute on Thursday morning. Please subscribe to the podcast. Please tell your friends about the podcast, and if nothing else, we will see you guys on Thursday morning.